Welcome, everyone, to episode two of the Flying Skate Podcast. Ben Bugera back with you alongside Curtis Dawes and TJ. They're my guest co-hosts this week. Today, we're going to be breaking down the power rankings in the four newly aligned NHL divisions, that being the North Division, West Division, Central, and East for this coming season, as it was just announced yesterday, which was Sunday, that the NHL would be starting back up again on January the 13th, with training camps opening on January the 3rd for teams that were in the playoff bubbles in the summer, and three days earlier for any teams that were outside the playoff picture for that tournament. What's going on, Curtis? Present. Uh, I'm, I'm upset that my bit got ruined, but it's fine. Yeah, your bit. Yeah, you're... Uh, he was asking if this is a if this is a PG podcast, and you know we're a family show. We want to keep it friendly, but you know if you have any good takes, we're always willing to hear them. Okay, it's good. TJ, how's it going? Excited to be here. Excited to talk about hockey again. Yeah, no, it's been a long time since we've had the chance to talk about hockey since the summer, and it's been a long off season and lots of moving parts for this season to get started. And finally, it's good to see that they've gotten everything figured out. There's still a few things to work out with the provincial health authorities and all those people involved. So let's start with talking about, of course, the division that we're most familiar with and that we're most concerned with on the Flying Skate podcast, which is the North Division, previously called the Canadian Division. So we've got to get out of that pattern of talking about it in that respect so it's the, it's the north division not the canadian division Cur- curtis what are you thinking about about this division i mean it's we haven't seen anything like it before it's a new thing for the nhl to be putting all seven canadian divisions together in one division playing each other nine or ten times in a season so so what, what are your thoughts on this well first of all as a blues fan i'm offended that you're saying the north division is the most important but um <laughs> I mean, it's definitely interesting, the the combination of teams. I'd, I'd say it's probably one of the easier divisions just based on who's in the division and that there's less teams. Um, but it'll be it'll be fun to watch for sure. I, I mean, I'm interested to see like the potential rivalries that come from it and the already pre-existing ones as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we see the uh, the Battle of Alberta, obviously, as the one of, if not the biggest rivalry in hockey in probably of all time at this point uh and especially in the last few years we've seen the the heated rivalry that exists there between Edmonton and and calgary and you know in recent years yes last year we saw matthew kachuk and zach cassian go at it in that one game and there being all the hype about what's going to happen in the next game is there going to be a brawl and we saw what entailed with the goalie fight there TJ, what do you think are other rivalries in this division that interest you as a hockey fan? Oh, for me, it's got to be definitely Vancouver and Toronto. Having a lot of friends from Toronto and also from Vancouver, it's going to be very interesting to see. And especially seeing all the back and forth going on in Twitter, seeing Pedersen versus Matthews, Hughes versus uh, Riley. It's going to be an intense matchup. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I mean, I talked about it a bit last week saying we haven't really seen Elias Pettersson and Austin Matthews go at it with each other. It's it's something that's going to be really new for hockey fans to see those two stars battle it out. And it will really help to answer the question is which one is in the higher tier? Is it Austin Matthews or is it Elias Pettersson? I mean, we know that right now, looking at point totals, Austin Matthews is a little bit above that. I know Canucks fans may not like that, but it it is right now the reality. But Elias Pettersson is there. I mean, he's a point-per-game player in the NHL as it sits. I I think Vancouver-Toronto is going to be one of those rivalries that we think is... It's it's going to be something that we haven't seen since those 94 playoff competitions between Vancouver and Toronto in the conference final in 94. Curtis, what, what do you think is the, what, what would you put as the top four teams in this division? I mean, we've, we've talked about it a little bit. Other people around the sports 
world have talked about who they see in that top four. And I mean, obviously, Ottawa is generally seen as uh, there's a consensus that they are the bottom team out of seven in the North Division. But the top teams, it's all interchangeable because once you get past Ottawa, it's very competitive. So what do you think? I think my most likely top three is, I'm not not in any particular order, just my prediction for top three would be uh, Leafs, Oilers, and Flames. And then for the last spot, I would have it between the Canucks and Jets. Um, the Jets were a weird team last year just because of their lack of defense, but it's looking to be a lot better this year. And Hellebuck is still in that. He's a stud. And then they've still got their young players, Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine. So I think they'll be a surprising team. And I think they could probably, I think there's a chance to get edge of the Canucks for that last spot. Yeah, no, it's the playoff battle definitely is going to be a tough one. TJ, what are your thoughts on it? Um, similar to Curtis almost, I also have Toronto, Calgary, but on the third spot, I'm thinking Vancouver with Winnipeg and Calgary looking in. But I do have a dark horse prediction that Montreal may be able to squeeze in with the additions of Tyler Toffoli, Josh Anderson, and even on defense with the coming up of Alexander Romanov. So it'll be an interesting uh, battle in the Canadian division. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think I see... Toronto definitely is the top team. Um, like like I said before, Canucks fans are going to like that. Everyone in Vancouver sports is seemingly putting Toronto at the top of this Canadian division. But the truth is, is that they are a team that consistently scores goals and does well in matchups all throughout the regular season. Now, I'm curious to to ask is historically, especially in the last decade, Toronto has had zero success in the postseason. And while we think the Maple Leafs are going to come out on top of the North Division, what do you think their chances are in the playoffs, Curtis? Um, It's really been something that we've seen them lose time and again in game sevens or in any type of matchup, it, it just doesn't seem to work with them. They don't seem to show up in those critical games. So what do you, what do you think we'll see from the Maple Leafs this year when it's looking like we'll get several Canadian matchups in the play- playoffs? I would expect the Leafs to do better than normal, just based off of the playoff format that the playoff matchups for at least the first few rounds would still be contained in the North division. So I think they have a good chance of at least advancing one round, which I know has been a problem in the past. Um, I think just based off the fact that Riley should be healthy as well. He was very injured last season. And then their younger prospects that are trying to um, make it in the lineup, they're just on the cusp like Sandine or Lozagrin. I think they have a chance at cracking the lineup and maybe making an impact. So I would expect them to, to make it at least through one round of the playoffs. I definitely think they'll have a better chance in the playoffs this year, especially compared to last year. They'll have a bit more grit on their team with the additions of Wayne Simmons, Jimmy VC. They'll have size down the middles with Joel Thornton. And even their defense is a bit more sound with Morgan Raleigh hopefully being able to play a full season, addition of TJ Brody, and even depth defenseman uh, Zach Bogosian. So it'll definitely be an interesting, uh, interesting to see how they do in the playoffs this year. I do think they can get past that round one that's been so elusive to them. I think when it comes to a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, we've seen time and again that they rely so heavily on offense more than anything else on their team. And that, at the end of the day, seems like the one thing that kills them is that they can't defend in situations against other good teams in the playoffs. And they rely so heavily on Freddie Anderson, who's a really good goalie in my mind, but he's being asked to play 65 plus games in a lot of these years because they can't find him solid backup. Um, now I, I do think with Jack Campbell as an addition this year, they might have a little bit more success uh, giving him nights off, but I, I'm curious. I mean, do you think that there's any other teams in the North division that have those same challenges when it comes to the balance between offense and defense and goaltending than the Toronto Maple Leafs do, Curtis? I think the Jets will be an interesting one to watch here. Um, just because we don't know really how they're going to turn out. Their defense looks to be better, but you never actually know how things are going to go until they hit the ice. Um, 
I think an interesting thing is that because the season is shorter, uh, backups will be a lot more relevant. So it's curious to see um, how teams will do because teams like Montreal, they added Jake Allen in the offseason so they can give Price a bit more rest compared to other seasons. Um, the Jets don't necessarily have that. Um, they have Hellebuck, but then it's a bit shoddy at the uh, the backup position. Um, you know, other teams like Calgary, they have Markstrom and Riddick. Oilers are kind of shaky. Um, Senators, they, I mean, they're not really spe- expected to be a playoff threat, but even still, they have some decent goalies there. Um, Toronto, they have Campbell and Anderson. And then Vancouver has Holtby and Demko. So I think the Jets are probably the biggest question mark in terms of the, the uh, I don't know, the balance between starting and backup goalies. Um, so I think they're probably my answer for that question. Yeah, I think that, as you touched on that a bit, I think Edmonton is definitely the in the toughest place when it comes to goaltending and defense now. I mean, it was announced today that Oscar Clefbaum is going to miss the entire regular season with an injury. So that really puts a nail in the coffin for the Edmonton when it comes to trying to have success this year. I mean, they brought in Tyson Berry, but Tyson Berry is been brought in to anchor their power play and he's an offensive defenseman. He can't, he isn't a very good defender. When you look at his metrics and all the underlying numbers, when he was with Toronto, um, it it wasn't that good. And I know there was a lot of talk over the off season about the Canucks trying to sign Tyson Berry and a lot of people saying, no, don't go for it because this guy's underlying numbers aren't that great. So if you're trying to find somebody who can replay, replace what you lost in Chris Tanev he's not really your guy so it's going to be interesting to see what Edmonton does in this circumstance now of losing one of their top two defenders Um, I mean they've still got Nurse and Larson and Russell guys who can put up good minutes and defend and work on the power play or and, and penalty kills so special teams both sides five on five but losing Clefbaum, who has played, you know, 25 plus minutes for them over the last few years is a huge, huge hole to fill. So TJ, I'm wondering what you think about the Oilers now that there's this huge hole on defense and as well with their goaltending. I mean, this just seems like a team that repeatedly doesn't come and show what we all think they can. I mean, they have two Hart Trophy winning players, Art Ross guys and Drysaddle and McDavid. So this is a challenge for these guys. So what do you think about all I of think this? this season, they're definitely going to have to rely heavily on Nurse, Ethan Bear, Tyson Berry, Adam Larson to really step up their game and show that they can take their uh, game to the next level. And once again, for another season in a row, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. If not defense, they're going to have to power their way through the uh, regular season with pure offense. They had additions such as Kyle Turris, Jesse Poyarvi, who can have such an impact by playing with the right players. And I and hoping that they do not make that uh, right move by doing well, because I want to see the Canucks obviously make the playoffs. But they could pose a huge challenge in the Canadian division if they're able to uh, get their offense really going and their defense can at least step it up from last season and hopefully their goaltending can also step it up compared to how they performed last season with uh, Miko Koskinen really taking the reins this year and taking on that starting role from uh, Mike Smith. Yeah, I, I do think that other players in this lineup need to step up and they've made some good additions over the off season. I mean, you look at, but, but you just look at the stats from last season. Leon Dreisaitl had 110 points, McDavid 97. And then there's a bit of a drop off there. You get Nugent Hopkins at 61. But then after that, you drop off to 34 points with Zach Cassian and Oscar Clefbaum tied with that next. So there really isn't much balance in the scoring. So really, you're relying heavily on those top two guys, Drysaddle and McDavid, to give you points. Differing from other NHL teams, that's a bit of a problem and something they're going to have to try and answer this year if they want to have success in the North Division. Coming back to it, I think let's look at the Vancouver Canucks for the next little while here. The Canucks, they, they lost some guys, but they also brought a couple guys in. So 
you're subtracting Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanner from the situation, two guys that have been with the organization for a long time. But you're bringing in Braden Holpe, a former Vezina winner, Stanley Cup champion. He's only four months older than Jacob Markstrom, so comparable age there. But he's had some troubles staying consistent over the last few years. Uh, you bring in Nate Schmidt to replace Chris Tanev, who is arguably a better defenseman than Tanev is. He's younger and has a little bit more of that two-way game on the back end that the Canucks have been missing and lacking. So he's a guy that can eat up minutes on both the power play and the penalty kill and be a solid contributor five-on-five, five, as we saw for him in the playoffs, the playoff series with the Canucks and the Vegas Golden Knights. Curtis, what do you think about the Canucks and are the subtractions of Markstrom to Foley, Tanev, Stetcher more significant than what they've added in Holtby and Nate Schmidt? I think it's tough to say right now. I'd say it's looking to be potentially bigger than what they got back. Um, I think the weird thing is that they didn't have to fully for a very long time with him. They were playing very well, but they didn't have him for very long. So it's tough to say how they would have actually performed over an extended period of time. Um, I don't know if anything really got replaced for Toffoli on the offensive end and Besser has been struggling a little bit. He's not playing up to how he was in his rookie season where he was playing lights out. Um, I think Schmidt is very valuable addition just based off that he's more well-rounded than Tanev. Um, I think it's arguable Tanev was better defensively, but Schmidt is more well-rounded and can provide some offense because um, they were relying a lot on Hughes last year. And with Edler getting up there in age, I think Schmidt can be a perfect complement complimentary defenseman for Hughes because um, I don't think Tyler Myers is that guy. So I think Schmidt will be a, a big minute muncher for them. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree that. Uh, and I don't know if Nate Schmidt starts the season playing with Quinn Hughes. I mean, you saw him play with Tyler Myers at various points, but the, the general combination that Travis Green was going with was Quinn Hughes and Chris Tanev through the most the majority of the season. It'll be interesting to see what Green decides to do. Is it Tyler Myers who he wants to put with Hughes and then put Schmidt with Alex Edler and maybe try and bring his game up a little bit more? I mean, Edler's still a solid contributor. You've seen that even through the Canucks' struggles over the last few years before they had the success making it finally making it to the playoffs this season. Edler's been a solid 30-plus point player still at this age in his 30s. I think maybe pairing him with something, somebody like Nate Schmidt, who has had a lot of success. And I mean, before the emergence of Shea Theodore in Vegas, Schmidt was the top defenseman there. It's, it's quite clear that how much they valued him and how much George McPhee was happy with the fact that he could draft him in the expansion draft and take him there. TJ, what do you think about the Canucks? coming into this season. What are these additions mean? And I think I agree with Curtis in that sense that Toffoli was such a small sample size. He played, what was it, 11 games with the Canucks in the regular season? Well, he was a point-per-game player during that time. It's so small, and the Canucks had had a lot of success and got the points from players other than Toffoli before they brought him in at the trade deadline. So what are your thoughts on you know, who might be able to step up, up into that role. I know Jake vertanen has been discussed. Even you go as far as to say other guys like Adam Goddard, who could play the wing if you moved Brandon Sutter to the center on the third line. Um, regarding the uh, the right wing spot uh, left behind by Tyler Foley on the first line, for the start of the season, I do believe that Travis Green will be giving Jake Vertanen every opportunity he can to see how he will flourish. But I believe a player that you didn't mention actually there that would uh, sneak into that top six role midway through the season is Niels Hoglander playing in Rogo uh, BK in the Swedish Elite League. And I do believe that after starting in the top nine, he would have an opportunity to play with Elias Pettersson and JT Miller because he's a very, very strong and dynamic forward who brings a lot to the table and would be, and really complement the playing style of Pettersson and JT Miller being able to go to the net, go down low, get the puck for them. I think he'd be a perfect uh, top-line winger for Patterson and JT Miller. And obviously, there are obvious, there's obvious the argument that he's young, he's brand new to the league, 
it's going to take much more time to adapt. But with the circumstances uh, left with the Canucks winger, with Brock Besser already having his linemates being Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson for the, the most part, I believe, uh, it really leaves that first line spot empty for someone to go in there and grab it, whether that be Jake Vertanen or a Niels Hoglander type player, or even somebody else coming from the pipeline, someone from the uh, system who can steal that spot, or even Adam Gaudet, as you mentioned. I think the Canucks are in a lucky spot that they have a lot of players who are versatile at the forward position and can play several different spots in that lineup. So you can see that JT Miller, he he's a good face-off guy. He plays center and he can be, play both sides on the wing. So Travis Green, a lot of the time last season, moved him around and gave him chances at all the forward positions. And he was versatile. He succeeded at every place he was given. So say if Niels Hoaglander makes the team out of training camp, you could conceive of him playing on the left side. He's a left winger playing with Pedersen and Miller on that line. If Miller can move over to the right wing. I mean, you, you, I don't think it would be very ideal for the Canucks to put him on Bo Horvat's line. Don't you think TJ? I think for the start, maybe just because they really want to give Jake for that opportunity with Pedersen, but I guess if that does not work, it would probably make the most sense for recreating the uh, Lolo 649 line and see how that goes throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, you you saw Pedersen, Miller, and Besser have a lot of success playing with each other. I mean, there was injuries all, all sorts of times throughout the year. So, uh, and you saw when Brock Besser went down, Jake Vertanen got a chance playing there. Uh, I think... Tanner Pearson had an opportunity there as well at certain points. So Travis Green is a guy that likes to try different combinations. And it'll be interesting to see what the Canucks decide to go with after the first couple games of the season. Because with this new format, you're not going to get the exhibition season, the preseason like you've normally gotten in the NHL before the regular season gets going. So it's really going to be trial by fire for these young guys. Uh, another one that I'm really interested to see, and I'll, I'll turn this to my prospects guru here, Curtis Dawes, uh, is Vasily Podkolzin, whose contract is up with St. Petersburg in the KHL in the spring. I think it's April that his contract expires with them. And there's been a lot of talk that he would sign a deal with the Canucks once that season is over and come over to here and play in the final few weeks of the regular season. Curtis, do you see a opportunity where Pod Colson gets the chance to play in a Vancouver uniform this season? I would say probably not this season. Um, I just don't think it necessarily makes sense, uh, especially in the shortened season. Um, they even, I don't know, I don't think this really applies to Pod Colson, but they even lowered the, uh, the threshold for, um, a, burning a year off the ELC, um, down from, uh, what it was last season. So I think it's going to be even harder to kind of fit prospects into the lineup because they have less time to prove themselves without burning a year. Um, so I personally wouldn't expect it this year. I think they'll probably try and slowly work him into the system, um, and then see what he can do in the NHL level. I think with all the uncertainty surrounding the AHL season and whether that's going to happen at all this year is really a reason why NHL GMs and coaches are wondering, is it really feasible and the best thing for these players to bring them over this year in a shortened season where there's so much uncertainty? I mean, you saw the announcement from the NHL with the creation of that taxi squad. So do NHL GMs really want to put their young prospects who may be playing overseas, such as the aforementioned Nils Hoaglander, who is playing in Rogla in this in the SHL over in Sweden? Do they want to bring him over and potentially have him working with their coaches in Vancouver, but not giving him that opportunity to play? That's that doesn't really seem Curtis as a a good a good thing. It, it seems like you're either playing in the NHL or you're not. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree for uh, what you said. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely going to be something that's, that's going to be interesting to watch out of this shortened training camp because you really only got 10 days 
to practice, run them through drills, put them through a few scrimmages and see who stands out to the coaches. Without the preseason, it's going to be tough to, to judge on ice performance. So moving on now, we've talked a little bit about the Canadian division. Uh, I want to move on and talk a little bit about the West division, which consists of Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Los Angeles, Minnesota, San Jose, St. Louis, and Las Vegas. So just kind of quickly going through the other three divisions and making some predictions about who are the standout teams, what are the factors when it comes to players or injuries on some of these clubs, and seeing how much success they might have in this 56-game campaign. So, Curtis, you're a Blues fan. Um, you know, as long as I've known you, you've been big on the St. Louis Blues, and you were pretty excited when they won the Cup a couple years there. Um, so, what 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 are your thoughts on the West Division? What what do you think we're we're looking at here? Um, yeah, I think I did crack a spot when they won the Cup. Um, I think the consensus is usually that. The top three will be Colorado, St. Louis, and Vegas, which I think is a safe bet. Um, the other teams are either kind of rebuilding or kind of like tweener teams, um, like the Coyotes, and then they obviously lost Hall. Um, I think for the fourth team, I'm either putting it between San Jose or I think Anaheim could potentially be a dark horse if their kind of veteran guys can step up. Um, I know they had a very poor offensive season, even their more established guys. So I think if they can kind of step it up again. I think they could be a dark horse team. They still have pretty much all of their like better pieces. Um, they still have John Gibson who's one of the best boys in the NHL. So I think they could be a dark horse team, but I, I'd expect the, the top three to be St. Louis, Vegas, and Colorado. I think there's just such a stark drop off between the top three teams in this division. I mean, you, you touched on it there, like St. Louis, Vegas, and Colorado are really leaps and bounds above the California teams in Minnesota. I mean, you saw the moves that Minnesota tried to make in the off season. And a lot of the time people were saying, this doesn't make sense. It seems like this team's trying to put band-aids on bigger wounds that they have to try and be successful and competitive in today's NHL. It just doesn't seem like they are a team that, can compete anymore. And I mean, they got some good pieces. I mean, their defense obviously is really good with Dumba, Suter, Spurgeon, you, you, you name it. They, they have got some good guys. Brodeen, they signed to that huge extension, which a lot of people were scratching their heads about. But Curtis, don't, don't you think that they're kind of, it, it looks like they're kidding themselves a little bit, that Bill Guerin is putting this team together to try and compete. But a lot of people in the league are saying, get out of here. You're not really going to be a factor in this West division. I think, yeah, like they're kind of trying to put some band-aid fixes on it. I don't know if there's much else they can do with the contracts that Suter and Parisi have. Um, I think they kind of knew what they were getting into when they signed those deals um, and they're kind of facing the repercussions now. I think there was actually a deal um, to send Parisi to the Islanders um, a while back, um, but that fell through. Um, I think it was Parisi for Ladd and other assets involved. Um, and I think Suter is still playing very well. He's still an elite defenseman. Um, but obviously those contracts are there for a very, very long time, even still. And there's just, I, there's not much direction. I feel like they have, as long as they have those contracts, they're kind of too good to compete for the number one overall pick. Um, but then with the pieces they traded away, they traded away Zucker and now Dubnik as well. And so those are some of their biggest pieces in those, in their previous playoff runs. So it's just, a, it's a very tough spot and I just don't have much hope for them to actually do well either one way or another, whether that's tanking or making it far in the playoffs. I'm expecting to be more of middle of the road. Yeah, and I think you see Minnesota trying to bank on the success that Cam Talbot had last season. I mean, he, he had a good year, no questioning that. I mean, his numbers were were pretty decent. Um, better than he had been in past years. But you look at the stats from his last year in Edmonton, which was the last time that he was a starting goalie. And 
he he played before he got traded to Philadelphia that season. He had a 3.36 goals against average and he had a 0.93 save percentage. So the, those numbers as a number one goalie don't really inspire that much confidence. And again, the, the year before, I mean, Edmonton relied so heavily on Talbot for those couple seasons that he was the starter there. I mean, he played 73 games for them in 16, 17. So it, it really speaks to, I mean, I mean, we're going back to Edmonton here about, how they rely so heavily on one guy and they don't really think about the other factors there, but can Cam Talbot get back to that same level? He was, I mean, like he played 26 games in Calgary. I mean, David Riddick was seemingly the guy that they were going to for the flames. Um, And I mean, obviously that now that's a moot point with Jacob Markstrom, but TJ, what do you think of, of Cam Talbot with the Minnesota Wild. Can he go back to how he played in that 16-17 season where started 73 games, won 42 of them, had really solid numbers. I mean, uh he he had numbers that I would say like put him in the Vesna conversation that year. So what do you think? Um personally, I believe that he will not be able to recreate those numbers. Uh, that's what my gut is telling me. But at the same time, if we look at it in a more proper uh, viewpoint, like Minnesota, they, they may not have like the best contract. They may not have the best players, but they do have defense. Dumba, Brodeen, they, uh, Ryan Suter, all amazing defensemen. Like Even the Canucks uh, were able to see it firsthand when they played uh, Minnesota in the first round during the qualifiers. Minnesota's got defense, and that could help Cam Talbot. When he played in Edmonton, there wasn't too much defense. In Calgary, he had a bit of defense, and he had a 919 safe percentage. So if uh, Minnesota can play that defensive style, I do believe that he could be able to recreate the numbers, but something inside me tells me he won't be able to do it. Yeah, I I think the Wild is going to be relying more on those top defenders like Suter, Brodeen, Dumba, and Spurgeon to produce rather than their goaltender. So I I think they were willing to take a gamble on a guy who has had success in the past, but recently has been a little bit inconsistent in Camp Talbot. So I think Billy Guerin thinks highly of his defense core that he's willing to go and make that gamble on Camp Talbot. So, yeah, I I think that if it was me thinking about it, yeah, you've got St. Louis, Vegas, Colorado, any combination of those three in the top three of that division. I think for me, Vegas seems like the team that I would put ahead of the other ones, especially with their addition of Alex Petrangelo. And I I think they have one of the most solid goaltending combos in the league with Flurry and Robin Leonard. So I, I think they maybe are a little bit of a step ahead uh, of St. Louis and Colorado. So I really think that it's between Minnesota and yeah, any combination of the other teams to battle it out. I, I think the bottom of that division is a little bit less set in stone. Don't you think Curtis of then the than the top three? Absolutely. Yeah. Like there are a number of teams that could push for that spot. I mean, Minnesota is like, they still have those good players. It's just whether, if, whether they can perform well, um, I think I mentioned a bit earlier, but Anaheim still has some good players. Arizona's a bit more questionable. They still have that elite goaltending tandem. Um, they still have most of their core guys. They just lost uh, Taylor Hall. Um, LA, like, I mean, they still have their top guys. It's just they're really getting up there in age. Um, maybe there's a chance they surprise. I wouldn't necessarily count on it, though. Um, it'll definitely be an interesting one to watch, for sure. Yeah, if I was a betting man, I don't think I would put my money on the LA Kings to have success. I mean, you've still got Kopitar and Drew Doughty who are going to put up good numbers in any situation. They're just top of the line hockey players. But beyond that, who do you really have? There's not much on that team. I mean, Jonathan Quick, he can't really compete at the same. I I think that Cal Pedersen might actually surpass Jonathan Quick. I mean, you saw him play quite a few games for the Kings last year. You might actually see him take that next step and 
see Jonathan quick slide to a little bit of a one a one B situation with Patterson. Um, I'm not too sure about Cal Patterson, like being able to take over the role next year, especially over Jonathan quick, considering he only played eight games, but I do believe it will be difficult for uh, LA to survive the, uh, to survive that division against all those very high tier teams. LA is a rebuilding team. It's going to take them another two years before they can compete again, I believe. But there's always surprises. This is the NHL. Anything can happen. Yeah, exactly. Hockey is one of those sports that, you know, it's less of a sure thing, you know, if you're a betting person to put money on an NHL game versus putting money on a football game, like in a national football league. So it's a little bit easier to put money on a team like the Kansas City Chiefs over say the new york jets than it is to put money on a game versus say la and anaheim this coming season so it's really going to be i think for me interesting to see what pans out in the bottom of that division so let's move on and talk a little bit about the central division we've got carolina chicago columbus dallas detroit florida nashville and tampa in that division for me, just basing it off, I, I think that you've got Tampa Bay and Dallas as the top two teams in that division. You saw them go at it in the Stanley Cup final this year. And those are two really, really, really strong teams that have a lot of strength on their rosters. They've got amazing players who can put up huge amounts of points. So, Curtis, beyond those top two teams, who do you see as emerging into the playoff pitcher from the Central Division? Yeah, I think you mentioned it well that uh, Tampa and Dallas will be the two teams to watch as the top. Um, I think it's very fun that Tampa is in the same division as Dallas and Columbus. That'll make for some fun games. So I think you're right in that Tampa and Dallas are pretty likely to make the playoffs. I'd also put Nashville up there. And then probably Carolina and Columbus as well. Um, One of those teams is going to get booted out, but those would be my top ones. Maybe Florida, if Bobrovsky can recover. I think there's a a very good chance he'll have a better season than what he had last year. That was a very poor season, especially by his standards. So maybe Florida can surprise some people. They still got their top players. They did lose Hoffman and Dadunov. Uh, Maybe Duclair can produce some of what Hoffman did if he gets some good playing time. Um, I'd put my money on Tampa, Dallas, Nashville, and Columbus personally. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. It seems like those guys are definitely the powerhouse teams that come out. I mean, Columbus, I think that they've gotten unlucky and picked the the short straws in the playoff matchups that they've had in the couple last couple of years. But I think John Tortorella has a really good team in Columbus. TJ, what are your thoughts on the Central Division? I also agree that Tampa and Dallas will be at that top of it and make the playoffs. But unlike you guys, I do have hope that Carolina will make the playoffs with Sebastian Idaho, Tivu Tirvainen. I think they will be able to power their team in. And for the fourth spot, if a wildcard team does make it, I'd put my money between one of Florida or Columbus for sure. I'm not too sure about Nashville, but they could come with a bunch of surprises. Yeah, I think that the Central Division seems like there's a lot of competitiveness there, but I think it's less clear than the West Division of who the top teams are. I mean, once you get past Tampa and Dallas in the Central, there's really uh, a dogfight between Columbus, Carolina, um, Nashville, and maybe even Florida in that picture. Obviously, the Detroit Red Wings, who had a pretty terrible season last year, pegged as the bottom team in that group of teams for this coming season, despite the additions of, you know, a local guy around here, Troy Stetcher, Thomas Grice. And, you know, you will see if uh, Raymond can play right out of the draft, uh, which will be interesting to see. So I think Detroit has uh, some good chances to continue to develop their roster. Same as we see kind of with the Ottawa senators in the North division. I would expect an improvement, at least in terms of point percentage. Um, They had a historically bad season and with the additions that they made and just some of the guys continuing to improve, hopefully, Um, you know, Larkin's still there. They got Manta, they got Bertuzzi. Those are their top three guys on offense. Uh, Hironik's been playing well. 
Um, their goaltending is hopefully going to be a bit better with Grice. I think they'll at least improve their point percentage and play a bit better than they were last season. Um, I, I wouldn't put my money on Raymond playing this year. I think Eiserman's smart, so he'll obviously try and do what's best for the team. And I think he'll play it, he'll play it smart with Raymond and probably keep him in uh, the league he's playing in right now. I think the Swedish hockey league is a really underrated league for me. Uh, it's it, it, repeatedly, it's produced some of the best NHL players that are out there right now. I mean, you, you've seen in the past, you know, it's produced the Sedin twins. It's produced Matt Sundin. Uh, you look at Elias Pettersson who had such a great going there in the Swedish league before coming over to the Vancouver Canucks. I, I think that, seeing how much development power that league has leaving a player over there for a year or even two years is not the biggest thing. It's actually going to help their development maybe rather than hindering it. So yeah, I think for a player like Lucas Raymond, maybe leaving him over in that league is, is a good call for the next year. So briefly, as we touched on the central division, let's move on to the East division. Now this is, this is a division that I really, took a good hard look at and I said, man, oh man, the Buffalo Sabres and the New Jersey Devils really got the short straw here. Like it just seems like those two teams can't catch a break, especially when it comes to Buffalo. I mean, they've got some good pieces, especially with bringing in Taylor Hall, but looking at the teams around them, how are they going to fare in a pack with Boston, the Islanders, the Rangers, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Washington. I mean, those are such powerhouse teams. Teams that have won the Stanley Cup there in Pittsburgh, Washington, and Boston in the last decade. And teams that have come close and have really fought it out. I mean, the Flyers came close last year. Uh, The Rangers have a really young and -and up-and-coming team with Lafreniere this year. And we'll see if Capo Caco can take the next steps. Adam Fox had a fantastic rookie season. So I I don't know when it when I look at the Buffalo Sabres and the New Jersey Devils, I think that those two are in tough to make an impact. This is such a tightly contested division and I, I think I really throw my hands up when it comes to this one and say I don't know. I don't know what the results of this this division is, Curtis. It just doesn't seem like one that we can really call at this point. I think it's definitely a tough one. Um, I'd say the Bruins are definitely penciled in for a playoff spot. Um, my top four would be the Bruins, the Islanders, the Flyers, and the Capitals. Um, it's very hard to count on a team with Sidney Crosby. I'm just expecting the other teams to perform better. Um, I think for the Rangers, I think this will be a season where they kind of just give the reins to the young guys. They have a lot of them on the team. Uh, as you mentioned, Lafreniere, Fox, they have uh, Chester Kinnanet. Um, maybe Keandre Miller makes an appearance on the team. They just have a lot of young guys who need development time. And I think they're just going to give them the reins and say, go play. And I think because of that, they'll miss the playoffs, but it'll really help their development in the long run. So I wouldn't expect them to make the playoffs this year personally. A big factor, I think, that came up just recently this week is Henrik Lundqvist, veteran goaltender, announcing that he'll miss the complete duration of the NHL season this year with a heart condition as he was diagnosed with, and he's taken some time off to deal with his health. So I think Washington on the back end, when it looks, when you look at the goaltending, you've got Samsonov and Phoenix Copley right now as the two guys that are penciled in as your goalies. To me, that seems weak. Curtis, I I think it's it's not. If if I was a GM and if I was the coach of that team, I would look at that and say I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I feel about going into this season with two guys that have both have. I I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Under 30 games each of NHL playing experience. It's a very valid point. I think the only thing for me is that you mentioned uh, Buffalo, New Jersey. I don't really expect them to be serious contenders for the playoffs. Um, And then the other two teams they're up against then would be the, uh, for the other teams that I had missing the playoffs would be the Rangers and the Penguins. And so for the Rangers, uh, like I said, I think they'll just be giving the reins to their young guns. And so because of that, they'll probably uh, lose a fair amount of games. 
And then versus the Penguins, they, I think, have a very similar situation in goaltending um, with Tristan Jari. They trade away Matt Murray. Um, so it's kind of, for me, Tristan Jari versus uh, Samsonov there. Obviously, it goes deeper than that. And so I just think that the Capitals came out last season very strong at the beginning. And so if they can replicate that, they'll be in a very good spot to make the playoffs. Um, I think their team is just going to be built better for making the playoffs. Um, I think the Penguins, you can point at them as having maybe more top players with Crosby, Malk, and Latang, and all those guys. Um, I just, am, I don't know. I'm just feeling like the Capitals have a better shot, in my opinion. And they've won more recently. They've, I mean, Ovechkin is still a perennial 50 goal scorer. I mean, he, if he stays healthy and continues playing at the level that he is, he will probably surpass Wayne Gretzky's goal scoring mark. I mean, he's the only player in the league that I think anyone thinks has the opportunity to do that. And he's just a guy that a lot of people have said Ovechkin is possibly the best goal to goal scorer of this generation, possibly of all time, seeing if he can maintain that level of production is is going to be interesting uh tj you are a self-proclaimed pittsburgh penguins fan as well as a vancouver canucks fan i myself don't really see the point of people having allegiances to two different teams but you know i accepted the fact that you do so what do you think about the penguins chances they've made some changes so tell us what your thoughts are firstly i just want to say uh I've been a fan of the Penguins since like 2008, 2007. Oh, really? One the, yeah, one of the first few teams I watched on TV when it came up. So became a fan. Vancouver, nice. hometown team. Upwind. I'm a fan. But yeah, I guess what I want to say is as a Penguins fan, I do not believe in them. They're not going to make it this year. My money is on Boston, Washington, Philadelphia as the top three teams. And I do have a dark horse in this. New York Rangers. I know a lot of people would disagree with this, but I have something inside telling me they might squeak in. You know, with Lafreniere, maybe he he takes it, he takes the reign with Panarin, and Shostorkin becomes a god in net. I feel like they have a good chance in this division to really do damage. And with the with the teams like Buffalo, for example, I I really see no hope for them. And I do believe that this is their best chance to trade Taylor Hall midway through the season and get a top pick out of that. It's been talked about a lot that Taylor Hall really is not one of those players in the NHL that a lot of people would peg as a game changer, somebody who, you know, makes players around him better. Um, I just want to touch up on Taylor Hall really quickly. Um, He does have a clause in his contract that he'll dictate wherever he gets traded to. So he probably would go to a contender. Um, So it'd be very hard to get a top pick. Um, I think you're right that there's a very high possibility of trading him, but uh, the return would be an interesting one to watch. Yeah, and I think Taylor Hall's still under 30. He's a younger guy, and he's he's won the Hart Trophy. He's been a league MVP. But is he a guy that makes players around him better? I don't think so. He basically was the only guy on New Jersey that one year that the, he brought them over the top that was a big contributor and made big waves in that market um i mean buffalo they they don't have goaltending either uh it it just doesn't seem feasible i think uh it's it's gonna be tough for the sabers for sure um i think hall is an interesting player in that you uh mentioned that he might not necessarily make players better around him i think that's true to a certain extent where he is the driving force behind the line, and so he doesn't necessarily boost all the players with him. He, could, he can make a very effective line by himself and kind of, um, you know, doesn't have to play with the best of players like we saw in New Jersey to be successful. Um, so you can maybe make some line varieties with that. Um, but if you do put good players on his line, maybe he gets some higher point totals. There's certainly potential for that in Buffalo. Uh, Jeff Skinner, Sam Reinhart. Jack Eichel, just to name a few. Um, I think there's a lot of potential for him in Buffalo. I just don't see a very long-term fit there. Um, and I don't really expect them to push for the playoffs either. An interesting player, just to add on, would be to see how Dylan Cousins performs this season. 
if he gets that opportunity to play. I think he'd slot in very nicely in their top nine and maybe be, even be an impact player if given the right opportunities this season. I don't see Buffalo as a team that can push here. Um, you've got too many question marks on that team, and you've got so many other powerhouse teams when you think. I mean, you've got all these guys that I think are not too many years away for being Stanley Cup champions. I mean, I think the Philadelphia Flyers are close. Pittsburgh, I think they may have taken a bit of a step back, but they're, they're still in the picture here. Washington, they're only a couple years removed. Again, questions in goaltending remain for them, but I think their other roster pieces are going to keep them in that mode of contention going forward. I mean, we talked about the New Jersey Devils, and I think in the Vancouver hockey market, this is something that interests a lot of people is the conversation between Jack Hughes and Quinn Hughes. And I mean, obviously they're two guys that play different positions. Quinn is a defenseman and Jack is a center, but you didn't really see much for Jack Hughes last year. He looked at times as if he was a guy that was out of place on an NHL roster. TJ, I, I don't think that he really gave us all that he could give us i mean what do you guys think I mean, yeah i believe it's gonna be much more difficult this year you won't have premier winger uh taylor hall on his left wing helping him out even on the power play we'll still won't have them it's gonna be much tougher for him to uh find offense but i believe with given the right opportunities and if he does like uh, put in the work during the off season that he will be able to uh outperform what he did last season because last season i feel like a lot of people have very high expectations on him calling him the Calder Trophy finalist winner, potentially having all that hype going into this season. But I I really just hope he's able to have a bounce-back season. And if not, then we might have to see uh, Jack Hughes with uh, New Jersey. All right, well played on the fun. I'll give you some claps there. I would expect a much better season from Hughes this year. He didn't actually get much playing time with Hall last year, um, unless there were injuries in the lineup. His main uh, line mates were uh, Miles Wood and Wayne Simmons, who both did not have very good seasons. Um, so yeah, you're not going to get many points there. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, definitely not. Um, and he's bulked up during the offseason. And so I think him and he sure will be the main go-to guys on the Devils for offense. Um, they'll have a good supporting cast. They have Paul Mary. They've got some good players on the back end in Severson and Subban. And so I think they're not going to be a threat, but it'll be similar to the Rangers where they're going to kind of give the reins to their younger guys in hopes of developing them and see where that leaves them after the, after the end of the season. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, and I think a lot of these teams, especially you look at Buffalo and New Jersey, that maybe in their other divisions, they could have possibly competed for a spot. But with this new alignment, because of the COVID pandemic and the shortened year, this being an in-division season, you're playing each team nine or ten times. This is going to be a question of how far can you develop, not a question of can you make the playoffs? Can you make an impact in the postseason and compete for a Stanley Cup? For Buffalo and New Jersey in the East Division, um, and again, you go across the league, you look at Detroit, it's a development year for them. Possibly again for the Florida Panthers, it might be a development year. Of course, in the West, you see Los Angeles, San Jose, maybe even Anaheim as being teams that are developing and trying to get better with their young players so they can eventually get to that place of competing. Uh, Ottawa Senators are another team like that. And then, of course, you talk about teams that are on the cusp of it. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks had an incredible go of it in the return to play in the summer and in the playoffs, making it to the second round, Game 7 against the Vegas Golden Knights. But they're going to be in tough with some powerhouse Canadian teams and it's going to be interesting to see. So let's, let's bring it back to the Canucks. You know, we touched on it earlier in the show about how the Canucks are going into this year with a few new additions in Holtby and Schmidt. And they they have some key subtractions. Yes. in Markstrom who received Vesna votes this season 
and Tyler Toffoli. Small sample size for him, but you saw how much of an impact he made in his short tenure with the Canucks. And Chris Tanev, who uh, is one of the most underrated defensive defensemen in the NHL. So do you think that the Canucks as a whole can maintain the pace that they had with players like Pedersen, Hughes, Besser, potentially Nils Hoglander, you know, Bo Horvat is establishing himself as one of those, the best two-way centers in the game. What do you think of the Canucks? Like if, if those players can continue to make strides forward, can they potentially be competitive and compete for the Stanley cup this year? It's an interesting case just for me because of the way that the divisions are set up in the playoffs um, because the first three rounds will be contained within the division still. Um, I kind of put it in a similar situation as Toronto where I think they have a good chance of advancing. Um, I think last year was probably like, it's a weird spot because they, I think had a tougher way last year, even uh, minus the subtractions that they have this year. I think they had a tougher last year just because it was more of a proper setup. Obviously the bubble was unique, but still having to go through the blues, having to first advance through the wild in the qualifiers then going through the Blues in six games and then taking Vegas to seven games, I think that will probably be harder than what they'll have to do this year. Um, and I think just based off if they can, you know, find their find their footing and uh, kind of become a good team, I think they have a good shot of winning a round or two. I don't know about making it all the way to like being a serious threat of the Cup, but I could see them being a threat in their own division. Um, yeah, I think it. I think the Canucks have a good chance to uh, really put their mark on this division. Uh, every player is going to need to step up on this team. You know, big losses with Jacob Markstrom, Chris Tanev, Tyler Toffoli. Players like uh, Thatcher Demko really needs to uh, blossom with this uh, new opportunity given. I think Nate Schmidt will add a lot to this team. Uh, dynamic defenseman. He'll be able to rack up some points for us. And it's all about that top tier winner for the Canucks who can fill in Tyler Toffoli's shoes, even though it's only a limited time, time he played for. But if they're able to, uh, they're all able to step up their game, I do believe they can push to be a competitive team during the playoffs. They can get past that round one and round two and even make it maybe into the, the next stage where they play against other divisions. But it all comes down to can Patterson, Hughes, Horvat, Besser, Miller all step it up next season? That really is the question. And I think it's the one that Canucks fans are really wondering. It's It seems like this team could take some big, huge leaps ahead, but also take some huge leaps back. It'll be really interesting to see what this team is able to do this year. So as we start to wrap up the show here, uh, it is Christmas week here for us. Uh, what are your guys' plans for the holidays? Uh, what, what, what's going on? And, you know, I know it's a weird year. It's different. So what are you guys uh, guys up to? Nothing. I'm getting a blues jersey. That's it. Good call. Good call. O'Reilly? Uh, no, I'm getting a uh, Federco jersey. Federco. Okay. TJ, what are you doing? Um, I'm gonna keep that surprise, and uh, on Christmas Day, uh, you guys will see. You, you, you know, we'll see. We'll, uh, there's a surprise coming from TJ. Yeah. Okay, so um, so maybe someone maybe will... Curtis has an idea of what what's coming for Christmas, oh. but something I mentioned before. What when? Let's just say uh, PS something. Oh okay. yeah. Oh, he's playing some video <laughs> games. Ah, uh, not TJ's just a video game. Nice, nice, nice. The brand new. Well, did you get the game that we talked about? I don't think I can on the PS5. What do you mean you can't? NHL? What? No, we're not talking about that. Mortal Nobody... Kombat? Yeah. I, I'll get that. They have a new version of it on the PS5. What, Ultimate? Yeah. That's not like a new version. It's just all the DLC included. Oh, okay. Yeah. If I get that, you know, we'll play some yeah. games. Yeah. Curtis, did you get a PS5 too? No, I'm getting it. I'm getting an Xbox uh, Series X uh, probably Ooh. next year. Nice. nice. Well, well, this Don't is wait the... till the prices drop. 
Well, this is the thing with the consoles now is that they're they're cross compatible, right? It's yeah. you you can play it's games. Yeah. yeah. So so that's that's something that's really exciting. Um, yeah. How about you, Ben? You're getting uh, the new Xbox or PlayStation by any chance? Maybe by the summer. I don't know. I'm I'm mm. I'm still hemming and hawing about it because you know it's it's expensive. It's it's something I, I definitely want to look at getting at some point. Yeah. But uh, I'll, I'll wait till it goes on a good deal. Wait, mm-hmm. but were you getting a PS4 first, TJ? Uh, no, I skipped that and got oh. the PS5. That's uh, okay. Skipped a generation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I haven't decided whether I'm going to get a PS5 or another Xbox because before I, think... I had the PS4, I had the Xbox 360. So mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm kind of impartial to both the consoles. I've had them both. I've enjoyed them both. So I, I don't know which one I'd go for. I might stick stick with it, keep it consistent, get another one in the in the line of Sony gaming yeah. consoles. That's know? why I'm sticking with the uh, the Xbox. That's what was my first console. I've always gotten them. I only got the PS4 for uh, to play with other people. Yeah, well, I mean, with with it being cross compatible with all the with the two new consoles, there it's, it's exactly. really, it doesn't matter to me. So this is why I'm thinking. It's like yes. it, like I'll, I'll kind of well stick with it. But with, may as well uh... stick with it. Yeah. Uh, but I guess the real question is, Ben, you're going to get the PS5 maybe in the summer, right? Possibly. I'm I'm thinking about I think it. There's going to be uh, a lot bigger competition here than uh, Toronto and Vancouver, don't you think? Co- what do you mean? Like uh... there's going to be a lot of rivalries. Me, you, Curtis. Oh yeah, in uh, in in what NHL 21? You thinking? I'm not getting that. NHL, FIFA 21. Mortal I'm not getting that unless it comes to Game Pass. Curtis, you've basically sworn off all of these games. Yeah, all I mean, I've, I've been playing. Games. I'm playing 20 because it came to uh, Game Pass on Xbox, but I'm never buying one again. I don't know. I, I every year I just games. every year I try and buy them. I I don't know. I, I it's 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 a problem I have. So thanks so much for listening. Uh, thank you to Curtis Dawes and TJ for joining me this week as my co-hosts discussing the return of the nhl on january the 13th we'll stay tuned for more information about that going forward thanks so much for listening to episode two of the flying skate podcast i am ben bugera have a great day and merry christmas